Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm Jim Gallagher, Jr. Don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to get your copy of Only One Shot. That's available on Amazon, written by B.J. Trollio, teaching professional at Old Waverly Golf Club in West Point, Mississippi. Special thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music. And you can find Steve at steveazar.com. Today we've got a special guest, that's Ben Don, coordinating producer of tournaments for the Golf Channel. He's been with the Golf Channel almost 20 years. I've worked with him on the studio side and now on the tournament side. He's uh, played some college golf at Rollins, grew up in Maine. So we're going to hear his story and what's it like to work for the Golf Channel for 20 years, what he's seen change, and uh, what it's been uh, like on this journey of of his golf life and how much he loves it. And uh, let's hear from Ben Don right now. Well, uh, it's my pleasure to welcome Mr. Ben Don at the Golf Channel, former producer, now the head of all the live golf for the Golf Channel. Ben, thanks for spending some time with me today. Thank you, Jimmy. Looking forward to it. Well, you grew up in Maine. My friend and roommate, Lenny Cole, is from Maine. I didn't even know you could play golf up there because the weather is so cold most of the time, but had some pretty good players. What was it like growing up in Maine? Who kind of got you started playing golf? You know, it was it was great growing up in Maine. Um, it's a beautiful place to live, and I say that to a lot of people, uh, six months of the year. The other six months of the year are a little cold, um, but uh, as far as golf is concerned, uh, my father got me started in the game, probably pretty traditional to a lot of people who get introduced to the game, you know, their father or a parent. Um, you know, my father introduced me to the game, and, uh, you know, we probably took a pretty traditional route. Um, I think one thing that I, I do remember that he did, he uh, gave me the chance to caddy for him okay. on Sunday mornings. He played Sunday mornings, and he had a group of guys they played every Sunday morning at 7.20. And when we were old enough, and I don't know what age that was, probably 10 or 12 years old, um, he had us come out in, in caddy. And uh, he might have paid us five bucks. I, I can't remember. Um, but at the time, it was it was exciting to be a part of it it was a, a once a week kind of thing so it wasn't overload you know we weren't overloaded with with golf or the need to play or practice or, or start to you know get overly uh, dedicated to it or anything like that we just slowly but surely got to be a part of what my father and his friends were doing and it was special to them on sunday mornings and it became special to to me as a young kid that's kind of that's kind of how i remember it what'd you learn caddying versus when you were kind of just playing on your own <laughs> I you learned, learned some new uh, words. I, learned, <laughs> I was going to say, I, <laughs> these, this group of guys, my father and his friends were, I, I wouldn't say they were great players. They were certainly avid golfers. I don't know that they were good. Um, so I, I learned how to throw clubs. I learned how to swear. <laughs> I learned how to, um, I learned to hang out with, with uh, older guys who were, who were having that, that weekend time alone. That was a, a memorable piece of it. Um, but at the end of the day, I think I saw how much fun golf can be. Um, and I, I probably took that away and then kind of turned it into, you know, something that I wanted to do on my own. How much did, you know, being around adults, cause I did the same thing. I played golf with them, caddied myself. How much did that help influence you as, you know, kind of growing up? It had to have a big influence. You're not from the club throwing part of it, but just being around <laughs> adults and being able to hang out with, you know, when you were yeah. adult around adults, you felt comfortable being around them. No question about it. I, I think that's one of the best things about golf. One of the best things about the sport is that it doesn't matter how old you are. Um, it doesn't matter where you come from or, or what your background is. If you're playing golf with someone, um, 
you know, you, you get to you get to know them in a way you probably wouldn't otherwise. So, right. So if you're a young kid, 10, 12, 14 years old, hanging out with 45, 50, 60 year old men, um, it's really it's really cool. I think it's a really unique experience. I, I, I just I always think that's one of the great parts of golf that I still do to this day. Um, doesn't matter how old you are. Um, it forces you to grow up in a, in a certain way and in a good way. You know, I well, think it, I think, I think you learn different it, rules you know. and how to behave and just the etiquette. I know the other part of it, but I mean, I just think it helps uh, kind of, you know, I, I, every almost every kid I've ever talked to or, you know, or just talking about golf that played in college, they played with the adults and they learned from the adults. Yes. It wasn't hanging out yeah. just with kids themselves. I think it helped, like you said, grow up and, and learn some things. But did you play other sports growing up? I did. You know, I played, uh, I played again, probably pretty traditional. I played soccer and I played little league and I played basketball. I was short and small as a little kid. So, um, I didn't have a ton of success on the basketball court. Um, didn't have a ton of success, uh, playing baseball. And I think I kind of gravitated to golf because look, I probably wasn't that great at the other sports. Um, and I, I had a little bit of success or felt like I was able to improve playing golf. Um, and, um, you know, I, looking back on it, that's probably part of the reason I gravitated toward toward playing golf as much as I did. When did you get hooked? When did it finally, the golf bug, because it hits you at a certain age. Do you remember when it hit you? You know, like I said, I think 10 or 12. You know, I had the ability, um, my, my mother talks about this a fair amount when, when her and I reminisce of the junior golf days. You know, we, we played a, a really short little golf course in, in Maine, a place called the Island Country Club, which sounds glamorous, but it's <laughs> not. It was a place in Deer Isle, Maine, which is very remote northern part of Maine, and they had a small nine-hole golf course. And um, we would go up there for various parts of the summer and have a chance to play nine holes as a little kid and actually play golf. Hit two shots, knock it on the green, put a score on the board. Nine holes was the perfect amount of golf at the time. You weren't committed to 18 or 36 holes. And it, it was a short, fun nine-hole golf course in Maine. So I would say around 10 or 12, that was probably when I had the ability to hit it far enough and shoot a 42 or, you know, a 39 or a 45, whatever the number might be to post a score and actually enjoy the game on a short nine hole golf course. I think that was probably, you know, where it was um, when I really got excited about it and hooked. When did you decide that, Hey, maybe I can play in college. Cause you end up going to Rollins down in Orlando. So you went from the extreme of golf, you know, every day to six months. Yeah. Season. yeah you know, I, I was, you know, Maine is a, as a, is again a beautiful place to visit in the summer i wouldn't say it's a golf hotbed um i was you know good enough in the state to win the state junior i um, was you know played a lot of it the junior golf in and around uh, maine and in seacoast new hampshire and in a little bit in greater new england um and i, I don't know i think I, I got good enough in my own mind i had no idea how good you really have to be or what really the rest of the country had to offer as far as junior golf was concerned but i'm uh, probably right around you know, 15, 16 when you're playing in that junior golf, um, you know, that junior golf circuit trying to play in some AJGA events. And I just remember, at least in my own mind, thought the only thing I wanted to do was go south, and south could have been anywhere, um, and play golf in college. That was kind of my goal and my dream and, and thought how cool that would be to get out of the snow, literally, in Maine and get as, as far south as Florida is where I wound up. Um, and have a chance to play year-round, that sounded like an absolute dream to me. 
Um, and look, it, it really was. That was an amazing thing for a kid from Maine to go do that. Um, and that's what I was able to do. Uh, I was very lucky to be a part of it. Yeah, you mentioned Rollins College, which is a small Division II school in, in Winter Park, Florida. Um, for anyone who, who hasn't been there, go check it out. It's a beautiful spot. Um, and I, I spent, uh, yeah, my, my college time there and absolutely loved it and you know, had the chance to play college golf in Florida. That, that was it. That was enough. Well, pretty good competition. Even I remember, and it's showing my age, but you know we played against the D two schools. We played against the junior colleges, and Rollins was always a really, really good, solid team. But Rob Oppenheim, who's played the PJ Tour and Corn Ferry Tour, he was one of your teammates. Y'all had some pretty decent teams, didn't you? We did, we did, and thank God we had we had Rob and we had other players too. I was always kind of battling for the fourth or fifth slot, um, but Rob was an excellent player. Um, and he actually was the Division Two Player of the Year, I think, twice. Wow. Um, and in 2003, no, let me back that up. 2002 was Rob's senior year, my junior year. Yeah, we won the uh, we won the national championship, which was, um, you know, it, it was a, a hell of a lot of fun, obviously, and something that here we are 20 years later still talking about it. So, um, yeah, that was a, an absolute thrill. Uh, Rob was an exceptional player, still is an exceptional player. There was another guy by the name of Alex Smith who was excellent. Lee Strover was another player who uh, the three of those those guys were were fantastic Division two golfers. Um, absolutely led the led the team and me. And there was another guy named Derek Murphy who I'm still very close with. Um, if we could help and one of our scores could count in a positive way, we were we were a great team. But all credit to those three guys. They they led the charge, no question about it. Well, and I think it's just it's as you mentioned, Dad, those are friends for a lifetime. Uh, and and to win a national championship, I don't care if it's D one, D two, D three, or NAIA. It's impressive to be part of that. Uh, what was your major and what was college? You know, what was the college experience? Because now it's like <laughs> a job compared to what it was in your <laughs> yeah. time. But it's like a job now. The, the, the college, yeah, the college experience I had was fantastic. Again, I was just literally a kid from Maine. My only requirements uh, were to go south and play golf. Well, I got to do that. Um, Rollins, at the time, Division II school, it still is, didn't have the intensity that some of these Division I programs do now, but I actually think that was part of the reason that made it so much fun and it allowed our team to be as close as we were then and still have a lot of close relationships with all those those guys now and our coach uh who i would say at the time but is still there now a guy by the name of kyle frakes uh and, and coach frakes was fantastic he he really brought the team together um and I, I think team chemistry and golf is an interesting thing at the time i probably didn't appreciate it because you think of five individuals who go out and play their own game and shoot two under par and that score counts and everyone can do their own thing um i don't think that's the case i think team chemistry in college golf especially and we see it at the higher level though too you see that at, at the Ryder cup and the solheim cup and the president's cup you hear of team chemistry but as far as college golf is concerned i'm really convinced that it's important and a, a big part of that in our world then was was the coach coach frakes who's still is a, a very close friend of mine and um someone who who believed in chemistry he had the ability his personality and his experience and his ability to get everyone to work together he led a lot of that that um that charge and, and that's you know that was a huge huge part of it 
What were some of the things he did? Because we always talk about team chemistry, and like you said, golf is an individual sport, and it's hard to make five guys who have been, you know, for so many years individuals. What were some of the things he did to kind of create that uh, team chemistry? Wow, that's that's a good one. He he was a uh, he is Kyle is Coach Brakes is a uh, he's just a wonderfully personable guy, and he can take people from any walk of life and any different scenario and bring them together. And he has a, has a great ability to do that. I will say one story that, that sticks out. We were at the, uh, we were at the national championship one year. Um, it could have been the regionals in Oklahoma, whatever the case, it was postseason play. And we played two rounds of golf and we were college kids and we were, we were friendly. We all got along well. Um, but he had us get into a hot tub and he got, <laughs> And he got it together at the, at the hotel we were staying at. We got in the hot tub, and he got six non-alcoholic beers. Um, and we all sat around like we were on vacation somewhere. And it was the funniest thing. We'll never forget it. It doesn't sound like it was that much fun or that funny right now. But at the time, we thought it was the, 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 the most hysterical team bonding exercise you could come up with, to come up with six sharps and sit around as if we were – you know, again, on some sort of golf vacation. And it was things like that. It was goofy, silly, fun team bonding, things like that, where, um, you know, I don't know if you can you can predict how those things are going to play out, but, but that particular um, instance is one example of a funny story where, you know what, we all sat around, drank beer in a hot tub, albeit non-alcoholic, and, and laughed and told stories and made fun of each other, um, which we do to this day, and, uh, and it worked. And next thing you know, you actually are – bonded and bonding with the guys that are going out to play and shoot um, hopefully a, a lower round than you are and, and, and win. So just stuff like that. We had all kinds of games. We did different games in the airport. Uh, we did different games traveling in the van. We went to different restaurants. Like it was camaraderie is what Kyle brought to the table. Uh, and he still does. He's just that kind of guy. Well, that's so important. And, and obviously that's a gift that he has to do that. And that's why y'all were successful. I think that's kind of like my team at Tennessee, just a bunch of guys from the state of Tennessee. A couple guys were outside, but we just kind of created that bond ourselves. And it's those times together. I mean, when you were a freshman, it was some pretty tough stuff being a freshman. I slept on a cot at Tennessee for three years traveling because I was the youngest. So right. I got my PhD in sleeping on a cot. I know that. But, <laughs> uh, you know, that's just part of the things. I mean, some of the fun we had, I don't think they could do that as much now because it's, uh, I wouldn't call it a big business, but it's a it's a lot tougher. But it's tough to create that chemistry, it's especially a lot of times these programs or yours as well with having good teams. you got five pretty good egos. Uh, but like you yeah. said, just kind of hanging out and, and just relaxing and getting to know each other. I think that's the, the most important part is getting to know your teammates. So, you know, what makes them click and, and, and you're not always going to get along, but just to kind of be friends. Uh, and it's hard. Right. I always talk, I talk to David Thomas about what two guys were roommates and they're playing for the fifth spot qualifying. And the other guy beat the other one and he put a strip of paper or a tape down the middle of the room. He says, you can't cross this line. And he goes, well, the bath, you know, the bathroom's on that side. He goes, well, you're just gonna have to find somewhere else. So it can get to that. That's the hard part of college golf, uh, but it's also the beauty of it as well. But yeah, you you get done with uh, Rollins. I mean, what's next in your line? And when when did you get in with the golf channel? When did you start thinking of getting into the golf uh, TV part of it? Yeah, so you know, I I I knew pretty early on, at least in my own mind, I wasn't going to be nearly good enough to compete and play for a living. Um, 
uh, I, I just, I, you mentioned Rob Oppenheim, who, who's a dear friend in college and is a dear friend to this day. And, and I, I just know um, how good Rob was. And I always compared myself to him. And I, I was not even close to as good a player as, as Rob was then when Rob was making the decision to turn pro. He absolutely was and is good enough to play golf for a living. And I, I always kind of knew, I was like, you know, I just, for whatever reason, and there's a long list of reasons, I was never as good as Rob. I wanted to be, didn't have the ability to be as good as he is, as competitive as he is, didn't have the short game he has, certainly don't have the composure he has, um, on and on and on. And I kind of knew that, I think, at a, at a pretty pretty young age in college. If, if I can't beat Rob, you know, how am I really going to go pursue a, a professional career? So I, I kind of got that out of my mind pretty early. Um, and there was a guy by the name of Dan O'Callaghan who was a, was a Rollins alumni who worked at the Golf Channel. And I thought, you know, if I can't play golf for a living, man, it would be an awesome thing to, to cover golf for a living, talk about golf for a living, produce golf for a living. I didn't even know what producing was at the time. But that's how I got, got it in my mind. And Dan worked. Uh, he was a Rollins alumni, but he worked at uh, the Golf Channel at the time. This would have been the the fall of 2003 and I reached out to him and I wanted to pursue an internship. And he had, he had that opportunity for me, um, and gave me a shot. And, um, I didn't know anything about TV. Um, and I, I had the ability the golf channel at the time allowed me to come in as, as an intern, um, and, and learn the, the TV portion of it as I felt like I had a, somewhat of an expertise in golf. Um, it brought that to, to the golf channel, learn the TV piece. And then, you know, as everyone talks about time truly does fly. I think I basically woke up 20 years later and I'm still working at the golf channel in golf television. And, um, it went so quick and it's gone so quick. I feel like it, it must be at the end of the day, it's a hell of a lot of fun covering golf, talking about golf, let alone, golf at the highest level which we get the opportunity to do every day it's it's amazing well you talked about an internship what basically does an intern do uh, starting out because you've got to learn how to do it from the bottom to get to the top yeah yeah you know it was really thrown into the mix trial by fire i remember i uh i learned various positions throughout the, the, the production world at the time was was golf central and that show still is golf central it's on the air um, let's use graphics, for example. I've got a, a kind of a funny story, which I get reminded of every time I talk to um, a former LPGA producer, Beth Hodder. Mm-hmm. Beth Hodder was producing Golf Central the very first day I walked in the door in 2003, and I was assigned to do graphics. And a couple weeks in, I learned what the graphics process entailed, and I came up with a, this great stat. I was so proud of it. I loved it. And I brought it to Beth to approve the graphic before it then goes on air. And I had spelled Arnold Palmer's name wrong. I spelled it, <laughs> I'd spelled it Arnold P-L-A-N-E-R, Arnold Plammer. And she looked at it and said, oh, boy, this is a great stat, except you spelled Arnold Palmer, the founder of our company's name wrong. Why don't you take it back, go think about this, sort through it, and come back when you can spell Arnold Palmer's name correctly. So um, that stuck with me very, uh, very early on. It, it's still with me to this day. Um, so to say I knew what I was doing early on w- would be a complete uh, overstatement. Um, and I just, I just, 
I loved golf and I had the ability, the golf channel at the time was a great opportunity to learn. Um, and, and I, I, Beth and I still joke about it literally to this day all the time. Um, but she was great. Dan was great. And that old group of, of golf central producers at the time, um, you know, they gave us the slack to learn. They were in position to check things. <laughs> Hopefully we still are before they go on the air. Mistakes happen. but And they allowed us to, to or me in particular, I know, to, to learn and make those mistakes. Hopefully then learn from them and not make them again. So, yeah, that's kind of how I started out. Graphics, all kinds of other, um, all other production roles of highlights and tape producing and, and field producing and editing and, um, feature producing and on and on and on everything that's involved with putting shows together but that was the uh, couple of memories from the early days of the golf channel well take our listeners through uh and i'm still learning and i've been working with y'all for eight years uh take us through a typical day you're the producer what's the typical day to get ready for a show and take us kind of through the show and ending once it gets on the air to kind of take us through you know kind of a quick uh tutorial i guess you would call it Yes, so, you know, specific to the studio world, we talked about Golf Central. Um, You know, look, if you're producing a show, you're ultimately responsible for all pieces of the show that air. It doesn't matter what it is. You start with time, storylines, highlights, graphics, features, um, what the the anchor and the analysts are going to say and how they're going to cover the the event that you're you're meant to either preview or recap or cover as it's happening. Um, So ultimately, that all falls on the, the producer. Now that sounds like a lot and it is a lot, but the way t- television is set up and it's, it's probably a cliched thing that we say, it, it's the ultimate team game. So um, the best way I can describe it to make a, a, a poor football analogy is that the, the producer is essentially the head coach. Um, but with that, you have, you have to rely on your quarterback and your running back and your offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, your overall game plan, et cetera. So the producer view them as the head coach. They would be responsible for um, all storylines, all highlights, all discussion, all graphics, all analyst tapes, et cetera, that happen over the course of a show. Um, and, that would be how, uh, you know what what they're ultimately responsible for. How you get ready for that? A lot of people do it a lot of different ways. I guess to this day, Jim, I've been doing this for just about twenty years. Is I I watch golf and I pay attention to golf. And now with you know Twitter and social media, I'm always up to speed on golf because I, I just like it. I, I don't find it to be work. I, I find it to be enjoyable to follow storylines, watch tournaments understand what's happening in and around the golf world. So I I think it's really helpful to have that general understanding of not only the sport, but then specific all the different storylines that are happening within the sport. So I would say you'd formulate those storylines on any given day, and then you'd lay out how this show in whatever show you're doing, you'd lay it out how you would intend it to air, ultimately thinking and keeping the viewer in mind. At the end of the day, it's not about the person on television. It's not about the person producing the show. It's not about the person who's producing graphics, et cetera, et cetera. It's about the person at home. And whoever that person is, think of them first, and you'll probably always be in a pretty safe spot. What does the person at home want to learn? What do they want to, what do they want to know? How can they be um, entertained? What kind of insight can you provide? All those kinds of things. I think that's kind of how you would lay out a, a show um, in your own mind if you're a producer 
Um, if you're producing an event, I think that's different in that the, the, the formula or the format is not laid out in front of you like a studio show. You're producing the show having to react to live action, live event that is unfolding um, in front of you. Um, and, and again, though, you're ultimately thinking about the viewer, number one. And when producing a live event, I think it's always important to remember that um, the, the stars are the golfers who are competing and the, the players are the stars. It's not about the announcers. It's not about the producers. It's not about a piece of technology that you want to bring to the table. It's about, um, you know, making the stars and allowing the stars on the field or in, or in our case uh, on the course, allow them to be the stars that we get to, to bring back to people's, um, to people's television. How much do you have to change? Say you've got the format out and, and, and to kind of explain it to people, you have segments and then you have time frame for how long you want to talk or how long it should last. But how, if you're in the studio and you're in the middle of the show, do you, how often do you have to change or adjust? Cause it seems like you have to be prepared for something to change or not so much go wrong, but things change so much in, in that 30 minutes to an hour. How much, uh, how much change goes on and, and how do you kind of adjust to that? Is it just you kind of, like you said, head coach telling everybody, let's do this and let's do that. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what it is. I think it's great to have a plan and have a game plan in mind heading into a show. And then it's important to deviate from that if necessary, right? If, if uh, Patrick Cantley and, and Xander Shoffley have a five shot lead as they do entering uh, the final round of the Zurich classic in new Orleans and, it seems as if no one can beat them, and it's a foregone conclusion that they've got five shots in an alternate shot format. Well, no one can beat those two. Two of the best players in the world playing great, and that's what you think is going to happen. Um, but uh, Xander Shoffley were to get injured before he tees off, then obviously storylines will change immediately. And, and I think it's important to react to that. But it's important not only for the coach, like I said, it's important for – everyone involved in that show to be ready for a change an adjustment, a different storyline. Um, and I think, you know, look, that, that yes, is your lead producer, the leader of that team, but it's important on everyone in that show to be paying attention to um, storylines that may change. That's probably a dramatic example of, you know, someone getting injured, but it happens, you know, we've seen it, um, you know, Dustin Johnson getting injured, uh, at the Masters a few years ago, and it was literally a, a game-time decision whether or not he was going to be able to tee off. Um, I believe he got his got all the way down to the first tee at Augusta and made the decision that he wasn't physically able to go. Um, there's no way to anticipate that kind of thing. Um, there's no way you, you can be prepared, but you've also got to be able to react when things happen. But that falls on you, Jim, as much as anyone else. You're you're the, the analyst. Uh, sitting at the desk, that can happen in a, in a moment's notice, and you'd be ready in a heartbeat to adjust. It's it's understanding that the plan is the plan, but you've got to be able to adjust quickly when when needed and when storylines change. What's do you have a favorite? Not show, but is there a favorite kind of moment that kind of sticks out in all the shows you produced? Not the one we did <laughs> Hawaii live. <laughs> <laughs> the final round of the 2018 Sony Open in Hawaii. Uh, well. That was one of the memorable. I don't know if it was the best. Um, <laughs> I remember. God, I'm gonna I'm gonna mistake the year. I guess it would have been the 2014 um, PGA Championship. And if you remember back then, Tiger Woods was was um, off and on from from playing with injuries. Um, it was always an unknown what Tiger's status is. 
not too dissimilar to what it is these days. But in 2014, um, Tiger had played the week prior, uh, I believe it was at Firestone, and I think he got injured. It was that stretch where he'd been, you know, in and out of various surgeries and he was getting injured pretty consistently and he didn't know if Tiger was going to be able to play, if he was going to show up at the PGA Championship in 2014 in Valhalla. And we were on all day long in one of our early live from shows on a Wednesday and Tiger Woods' arrival became um, this rumored event. It was was he going to show up? Was he not? When was he going to show up? Uh, and it really took on a life of its own. And, and I remember uh, producing that show, and we spent hour after hour after hour trying to get an understanding or an answer if Tiger Woods was going to show up. And sure as hell, uh, I don't know, probably 4 o'clock in the afternoon, he arrived on property, and the whole place went nuts. And we covered it. Like it was uh, like it was a, a presidential inauguration. We had cameras everywhere, and we got him coming out of the parking lot, down to the driving range, followed his warm up, and we created this. I say we, Tiger created this excitement based around simply if he was going to show up or not. Um, that was a there was many memorable ones. That one comes to mind very quickly, though, is this highly anticipated moment. If a guy was going to simply show up at the course that day, and he wound up committing playing a practice round. We followed him throughout his entire day. Um, he went on to play the event. I feel like he might have missed the cut, but that was insignificant because all the hype was around this Wednesday arrival. It was it was memorable, to say the least. How has he changed the way you produced over the 20 years? Because people get, you know, all you all do is show Tiger Woods since he is the needle, but how has TV changed? How has TV production changed so much following him? over your 20 years with the golf channel man yeah um a lot a lot i think you know starting out if i remember in 0305 and that was a really dominant stretch of golf for tiger woods i think we took it for granted we, we didn't really have a sense of of I mean, it's, some of us did i remember specifically probably not appreciating how great he was how much attention he brought to the sport it became um you know, something you expected out of Tiger Woods. You know, he would win four, five, six, eight times a year, um, and it became very commonplace. We had a lot of access to Tiger Woods and various previews that we would do throughout the week. And, and um, so I would say it, it, it was something we probably took for granted. And like a lot of things, you don't know how great it is until it's gone. And Tiger... Let's see, the, the performance in 08 at Torrey Pines was, was memorable and spectacular. And then, unfortunately, from about 08 on, I feel like he was inconsistent um, whether or not he was going to play or not because of all his injuries. And then once Tiger was in and out of, of competition, from as I kind of pieced back through it in my own mind from 08 on, then I felt like the, the, the hype and the excitement and the attention around Tiger Woods grew exponentially because you didn't know if he was going to play. You didn't know how much he was going to play. Still at that time, you knew he was going to play well, but you didn't know, um, you didn't know how, how often he was going to play. And so as then it pertained to TV, I just felt like everything grew from there. Expanded hours of live golf, expanded studio hours. Um, the U.S. Open in 08, I remember we came up at the time was unheard of now it's very commonplace we'd come up live to cover tiger woods press conferences and our entire golf channel apparatus i feel like 
from about 08 on to what you see. And now, again, what we take for granted today was driven by Tiger Woods, the immediacy of being live on air to cover his press conferences, expanding our studio programming hours before Tiger Woods even shows up to a golf tournament. Tournament golf expanded hours to cover every shot or uh, as much golf as humanly possible in and around Tiger Woods. It it changed a lot, and um, I would say 08 there, Jim, when, when – in my own mind is when it really it started to expand uh, exponentially. Yeah, he wins in 19, the Masters, and then the comeback this year after the car wreck. I mean, I've seen Tiger change. Uh, and of course, I'm a player, and I've seen him change from when he was a, you know, a kid to now, and I've seen a different Tiger, uh, no question. Uh, but the influence he's had, uh, uh, your opinion, how much have you seen Tiger change over the years, and you've covered him. I've followed him and played against him early on, but uh, he's really kind of changed as he's gotten older. More of the family has come back into play. Yeah, no, no question about it. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I, I think he's, he's changed a lot. What I really enjoy, I feel like there was a time, and, and I'm talking, you know, that 05 to 2010 period where you just didn't get any insight from Tiger Woods. He he was always incredibly gracious with the media. He would show up after every single round, answer questions, and leave. And that's, that was a lot more than you can say about a, a lot of athletes, let alone superstar athletes like that. What I've found more recently, and what I enjoy about Tiger, is the insight to the game he has mm. is, is fantastic. If you spend the time to watch his press conferences, I feel like he's he, – obviously he's – golf savant but he's actually allowing us to learn a little bit more from his responses i think he's a little more thoughtful um he's probably less pressed for time at least in his own mind maybe than he was uh, 10 or 15 years ago i think he can really learn a lot about the game listening to tiger woods it's fascinating when you, you spend the time yourself to listen to what he has to say he talks about um you know things like distance control with wedges and golf balls how they spin and the importance of accuracy over distance or vice versa. He's always been intrigued by Bubba Watson and Bryson DeChambeau. Like I'm always fascinated by what Tiger brings um, more recently. Again, in those press conferences, his insight to the game is second to none. I think it's an amazing opportunity for someone who's as into golf as we are, Jim, to listen in to what Tiger has to say about the game. That's an amazing education. That's better than, any insight you're going to gain from from anyone else it's just it's spectacular so that's well, kind of how speak, i see it's yeah i can speak yeah, just I, from I the masters cool. live from we just did a couple of weeks ago and we had jack nicholas raymond floyd tom watson and ben crenshaw to learn from the legends and I've used it in my shows, something they've said, and I've been around them, but I still learn. Raymond Floyd said something that really meant a lot to him was mentorship. And I think yeah. you're seeing Tiger kind of take that role a little bit because it's, it would be hard to have a lot of people in your world when you're, you know, probably the world's most famous athlete uh, and to have them in your world. But I see him doing a little more of a mentorship. It's, I think he's enjoying it now. He took yeah. things maybe for granted that we all kind of do. Now I think he's sitting back and, and checking out the scenery, enjoying life, and it's great to have yeah. him back in there playing. But you've taken a new role now with the Golf Channel uh, on a little different side of producing. You're kind of in charge of the live 
golf now and that's been a, a little bit of a adjustment i'm sure because i know you love to produce but you're kind of seeing it from the other side now the live golf version yeah yeah i am and it is it is a different role um but you know as you know the, the live tournament golf that we put on the golf channel is um is very important and it's a very extensive calendar uh we start in january and we go all the way through uh the second week of december and it really doesn't stop um, and we're lucky it doesn't stop because, um, you know, we have the we have the good fortune of covering every tour and we work with every organization, um, every governing body. It's it's really it, that that alone is a real treat. It's something special. that's about you know, special about unique about the Golf Channel. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a very ambitious uh, schedule. I think we're responsible for roughly 97 tournaments a year. Um, spread out all over the world that includes the dp world tour that includes college golf uh we work with augusta national with the augusta national women's aim and drive chip and putt pga tour champions corn ferry tour lpga and of course the pga tour um and there's others that, that um other events that we do as well but um yeah it's 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 been a it's been a change it's been a lot of fun um i do miss the, the producing is the fun part jim but um you know this this role is is different um and, you know, look, I think at the end of the day, the golf channel has been very lucky and I'm very lucky to have the people in place who produce the live golf um, are, are exceptionally uh, talented people and they're very experienced. And then the other part of that, which a lot of people don't understand and don't see the production end of it or quite honestly care about it, they want to watch and enjoy, are the announcers, yourself and 35 others of the announcers that we put out to cover these events on all the tours and organizations I talked about. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to be around, communicate with, talk with, and, and work with uh, the announced team that we have. Um, and you guys, and I say you, Jimmy, because I know you're a big part of all those different events, you're the experts, and um, I think you do a great job of not acting like the experts, letting, again, the stars of the show or the players on the, on the golf course let them be stars, but enhance the viewer experience with your expertise, your experience, both as a player and a broadcaster. Um, and I think that's, I don't want to say it, it makes my job easy, but it does when you're surrounded by great people, both behind the scenes, as I mentioned, all the talented production people we have, in addition to the on-air people who are accomplished players and broadcasters in their own right. I get to sit back and watch. It's fantastic. It I is. And I think, wrong, you know, as you said, Judy Rankin gave me two pieces of advice. And I, it, it's two things she said you got to do is, is get people to like you and tell them something they don't know. And I think she is one of the best. I've learned so much from being just being around her. You know, I, she covered us, me as a player. And she's the same person uh, with TV, but you can you can't learn enough. Every day I work with her, I learn something new. And for you folks, if you ever get an opportunity to go in the truck and see how it's produced, you're amazed that anything gets on. When you think about it, when you watch a football game or basketball or baseball, it's a ball. It's one one particular area. In golf, there's 18 holes and 156 players, and there's so many moving parts. And I think that's the amazing part. And, and as a player, I didn't appreciate it as much. You know, you go, why am I not getting on? Or why, you know, why in so-and-so? Why are they showing him? It's amazing that anything really gets on on the live golf portion of it. But uh, I appreciate you spending some time mm -hmm. with us, Ben. And I uh, appreciate your friendship. appreciate your mentorship. It's been fun. Yeah. I've been with you all for eight years. And it's been, a, like you said, it's fun. And I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it. Jimmy, real quick, I'm going to flip it back on you. You're talking about fun. 
and I know you've got some insight to this, and I'm uh, at, a, at a point now, I have a four-year-old son, and I'm trying to make the game fun for him to get interested in, in playing. What do you have, and what would you recommend for parents out there, anybody listening, and grandparents out there of young kids in the game? How do you get them involved? How do you get them hooked? And how do you make it fun? Great question, and that's something we think Johnny Miller said it. Get them to the point where they don't want to. They, they don't want to go home. They want to stay out there. That's the that's the challenge. But I think the most important thing is spending time with your kids. Uh, we're all busy in our world, but that hour or two you could spend with your kids is priceless. And I don't think getting kids lessons at six and seven works. Uh, maybe get them in some junior clinics. Uh, PGA, junior, PGA uh, Junior League's great because they get to be with other kids when they get a little bit older, 9, 10, 11, 12, kind of that team atmosphere for the kids that, that don't want to go. But the biggest thing is just get them out there and let them hit it. Just swing as hard as they want uh, and just enjoy the time with them. Uh, and don't get to the point because I think we've got to be so careful in golf that we don't turn into what tennis did where it became about the parents and not about the kids. And that's my advice to every college coach, everybody out there. It's about the kids. It's about the player. It's not, like you said, about we, the announcers. It's not about us. It's about those folks. I think you've got to keep that in mind as a parent. Uh, and, and I think just start them out with, you know, U.S. kids is, is probably where I'd start everything, even plastic clubs when they're two and three. Uh, just get them out there and let them watch. I think they can learn by just watching it on TV. And, and, and imitating that. But that's a great question. That's what I try to promote on this podcast. That's why I do it. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's in like life or golf. You've only got one shot. you got to make it count. And that's why we did, it, we did this thing. And it, you only have that small period of time, like you said, with your kids when they're young. Uh, and I think that's the, this is the time to get them out there playing. And I don't think there's any other better game in the world. You can play it the rest of your life. Yeah. There's no other sports you can. Uh, and it's sometimes, you know, when they get really good, it's, it's, there's a lot of being by yourself. And I think that's the tough part, but you got to truly love it to play at the levels that you and I played. And, and a lot of players do, but it, it's a game we love. It's a game for a lifetime. And, uh, that's probably my best advice for everybody, but I appreciate you spending some time with us and go enjoy the afternoon and watch a little golf this afternoon. All right, Jim. Thanks, man. I always appreciate it. Until the devil's hands are all done.